From time to time, I like to go skydiving. Not only is it a great way to enjoy the views of a new city, but more importantly, it really helps with my prayer life. <laughs> On those mornings, I can't tell you how many prayers I say as they are folding up the parachute, as we're climbing up in altitude, and as we shuffle out onto the wings of the plane. Pray without ceasing, St. Paul writes. And on those days, I got that covered. <laughs> Ultimately, though, it all boils down to one moment of faith. That moment when you let go of the plane's wings and quickly begin your journey back down to Earth. After that, it's all in God's hands. Trust and faith. I think that's what today's readings seem to be all about. First, we hear about Abram and Sarai, a cute little elderly couple to whom God says, look toward heaven and number the stars if you're able to number them. So numerous shall your descendants be. And try as they did, they found themselves in their 90s with but one child a far stretch from the accountable number of descendants that they had been promised. But the Lord appeared to Abram and Sarai, first giving them new names, Abraham and Sarah, and then dropping some pretty outlandish news. I will bless Sarah, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. Abraham fell on his face and laughed when he heard this. Sarah would even crack up from the other room, too, and deny it when the angel asked her what's so funny. But by the spring, those nonagenarians had their first child together, Isaac, whose name means he laughs. I suppose that's the first hallmark of what it means to have faith, that we should be prepared to laugh. Because when we cooperate with the grace of God, anything, even the outlandish, is possible. In the epistle, St. Paul picks up on another aspect of faith, accepting God's timeline, not our own. He writes that Abraham, hoping against hope, did not weaken in faith when he considered the age of his own body or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. Instead, he grew strong in his faith, being fully convinced that God was able to do what God had promised. Imagine the strength that Sarah would have to muster giving birth at that age. Imagine those glorious afternoon naps of the twilight years being interrupted by the crying of their child. Surely they must have wished that this promise was fulfilled in their more youthful years, but the time that God chose to grace them with their own child must have been the right time because the number of descendants in our extended family of faith from one generation to another surely does outnumber the stars in the sky.
this was a promise fulfilled. Just in God's time, not theirs. And then we have Peter, bless his heart. Just two verses before this gospel, he was the star pupil, correctly answering Jesus' question, who do people say I am? You are the Christ, he exclaimed. And he got a sticker for that answer. <laughs> but then immediately Christ begins to teach that he must suffer and be killed and after three days rise again. Perhaps still riding the high of giving the correct answer, Peter pulls Jesus aside to tell him, actually, the Messiah is really supposed to restore Israel and build it up into a state which could never be conquered. I suppose this exchange, exchange highlights something about faith too. What Peter envisioned was a fortified kingdom immune from ever being conquered. But what Christ had to offer was so much more, namely his life on the cross, the sacrifice that God would accept as the final and perfect sacrifice for the sins of all time, the end of death, and a kingdom which will live on long after this planet has crumbled. Perhaps faith then is not always bringing our ideas to the table, but trusting that what is up God's sleeve is infinitely more generous, more loving, more life-giving, and more creative than you or I could ever imagine. A biblical scholar once suggested that when we hear the name Peter, we ought to substitute ourselves into that passage. So what does Christ have to say to Peter, say to us, in those moments of our lives when we forget that God is able to accomplish abundantly far more than we can ask or imagine? He says, get behind me. That's where you go when you're following someone. Christ's compassion for those moments when we lose our faith is boundless. God is always ready and willing to say, come on back and pour out grace upon grace. The gospel ends this morning with an invitation a rather bizarre one, to take up our crosses and to follow Christ, to go on a journey where we forsake our own plans, our own goals, and live for God and live for neighbor. For Christ, this journey of faith took him to Golgotha, but for us, who knows where this journey will take us? Christ doesn't mince his words. He is clear that this journey at times may be filled with great suffering and perhaps even rejection. But the stories of our ancestors in faith show us that when we say yes to faith in those moments of our lives, that through grace, the impossible 
happens. By faith, 99-year-olds give rise to countless numbers of descendants. By faith, Peter, who got it wrong more times than he got it right, would go on to be the rock of the church. By faith, Christ stretched out his arms upon the cross and three days later freed us from death. And I'm sure we each have our own moments, too, when we saw an improbable grace enter into our lives. Those campfire stories which all almost seem too far-fetched to be true. Faith isn't just about believing that God had a hand in it all. It's also about believing that there's an even more glorious ending yet to come when we take up our crosses and follow Christ. And maybe even have a few good laughs along the way, too. Following Christ isn't about knowing where you are going. It's about having faith and trusting in the person that's leading you. And I can't think of a better person to be our guide than the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, the Messiah, the Christ.